0: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Mike's on. He's ready to go. On the fan. New York Sports Radio. Mike's on. Mike's on. To the sports and anyway
1: it when came. It's my the fan. Sports Radio 66 and 1019
2: FM Alright, we come your way on this uh Friday evening, the twelfth day of June, brought to you by Casamigos Tequila. As always, brought to you by those who drink it on this uh Very nice Friday evening, Uh, what should be a beautiful weekend. It's supposed to be really nice tomorrow, pretty nice, uh, mostly nice sunny, maybe a little bit of rain later in the day, but it should be nice. Tomorrow should be beautiful, so get out and do something uh, tomorrow because it's supposed to be just a a beautiful day. Uh, On the 12th day of June, as we move a little deeper into the month, uh, golf is again one of the stories today, one of the big stories, uh, and uh, things have gotten a little interesting at the Colonial, it's, I mean, they're tearing the course apart. I mean, that goes without saying. You have so many guys that are just, you know, really just ripping. That are uh, the, the cut's going to be at 2-under. Uh, so when you see a cut at 2-under, you know that the guys are playing good golf. But uh, right now you have Varner at 11-under. He's in the clubhouse with the lead. You have a bunch of guys at 10-under, including Jordan Spieth, uh, McElroy was 9-under. Uh, you also have 10-under. You have uh, Deshamboa 10-under. Uh, Woodlands have been lurking between 9 and 10. Schauffele's 9. Uh, Murakawa, 9. A uh, bunch of guys at 8, including Thomas, Rose, Grace. Uh, so a uh, lot of guys up in that area, 8, 9, 10 under par. Varner, 11 under par. Uh, he followed up the uh, 63 yesterday with a 66. Rory uh, turned around today and knocked in a 63. Um, speed back to back 65s, and he loves that course, which is one of the reasons why I, I like Speed this week. You know, I took DJ because I've never seen Dustin Johnson at 25 to 1. So I, I took a flyer on him and uh, I played three guys. I played Wallace at 155 to 1 because I always play a bomb shot. He's even Paul won't make the cut. I played uh, DJ who's not going to make the cut. And I played Spieth at 33-1 to 1 because he loves the course. I like horses for courses. And Speeth, although I had no idea if he'd play well, and uh, I know that he had not been playing well leading up to it, but he has had nine rounds in his career on the, at 65 or under at that course, and he just loves it there. And guys who do that do it a lot. Horses for courses works a lot in golf. It really does. It's worked uh, for me with uh, Mickelson and Bubba Watson at the Masters. It's worked with Bubba Watson at Riviera. It's worked. It works a lot. And uh, this is a place that Spieth loves to play. So I thought maybe he'd be comfortable here. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to win because he's in the middle of a whole bunch of guys. There's, you know, 10 or 12 guys that are all within a couple of strokes of the the lead and could definitely win this. Uh, And uh, you have a bunch of young guys. You got a couple of the. Interesting guys, you know, like you expect, guys like uh, Rory being there. Um, Everyone loved Rom. Rom's not going to make the cut. DJ, you heard Breed say didn't think DJ would play well. He was dead on. DJ didn't play well. Never got started in this tournament. Hasn't played well at all. So that's where we are right now. And Varner, and Varner played well at the end of last year, and he has played really well, especially after opening up with a seven and then just tearing things apart. So he has played just sensational golf, uh, and right now he has a one-stroke lead. But again, it is a very, very, uh, very uh, tight and uh, well-balanced leaderboard as we go into the weekend. Uh, Still some guys on the course today, but get ready to go into the weekend at Colonial. Um, A couple of things. Number one, I know that, uh, and I'm sure this has been, I didn't hear the shows today, but I'm sure this has been a conversation on the shows today um, that uh, Jeff Wilpon made a statement about a transaction. At first, he said there were four or five people interested in the team and that a transaction was, uh, you know, in the, in the wind, basically. You know, there was, a, you know, something was coming. He gave that quote to somebody at a, uh, a charity event, a charity function. Uh, he gave that uh, a quote to a reporter. Now, uh, so I did a little tracking down this afternoon as best I could. Um, I spoke to someone who knows. I promise you they know. And told me, well, I couldn't get much out of them. But what they said was that, um, that something will happen. I said sooner rather than later. They said not necessarily sooner, but something will happen. Here's what I got out of them. Something will happen this year, it sounds like, but it doesn't have to be immediate. So it, I said sooner rather than later. They said not necessarily sooner, but most likely something this year, and that's all they would say. So, um not necessarily soon. When I asked about soon, they said not necessarily not necessarily soon. But transaction, there will be a transaction. Now, whatever that means, I'm not sure. I couldn't get any more than that uh, right now. But something will happen. Something of note will happen this year is what uh, I was told. So we'll see what that means. I just don't know. Uh, that's as far as I got today uh, with that. Um, John Harbaugh made some comments about the protocols, and what will be expected of the coaches, expect more of this. Expect a lot of this. Because there's going to be, especially, you know, golf comes back, there's no contact. Distancing is easy. There's not a lot of people on the course. The player-caddy relationship is an easy one to control. The other sports, even practicing is difficult. No less getting people ready in any way, Um, you're going to have a lot of coaches who are not going to be happy with the protocols as we go forward here. And that's when we ever get anybody back on the field. It seems like, you know, it's going to be forever before we do because, let's be honest, here it is June 12th, we have a long way to go. I mean, golf's going to have this to themselves. You do have the Belmont Stakes next week. Uh, That has been... uh, the field has been reduced, let me put it that way. You still have Law, who's the finest two-year-old I saw last year and has been the finest three-year-old I saw this year. Uh, when I saw Law break his maiden last year, I thought I was looking at a special horse. Uh, he has lived up to that for a variety of reasons. Some of the other ones right underneath him are not coming or have been uh, knocked to the sidelines, which always happens. You have the... Uh, Belmont obviously first and a different Belmont this year because of the fact that uh, you couldn't have that at a mile and a half if it's going to be the first of the three stepping stones because it's just not the way you're going to bring the horse along. You've got to build the horse up to the mile and a half, not take him, and take him from a mile and a half and then cut him back in distance in each of the next two uh, races for the Triple Crown. So it won't affect this horse. He's a New York horse, and if you know the story of funny side, it's the same connections they have now had another horse they've had a lot of horses in between. they have uh I'm sure some different faces and I haven't kept up with the guys, but I know there's been some turnover in Sakatoga state there's been some of the regulars are there, a few of them, but not everybody's there. There's been some turnover uh in there for a variety of reasons uh, but you know they've had a lot of horses. They've stayed in the game. They now uh, have come up with another good one. We'll see if he's as good to him as Funny Side was. But they have a very nice, very nice horse now in Tisler. Uh and that will be next weekend uh, at Belmont. Uh, Saratoga will race without, uh, without uh, fans, so they will have racing at Saratoga. But that's going to change because the Travers will not be late in the meet because of the fact that it's a three-year-old race and the derby is right after it. So Sarah, the Travers will be early in the meet. They haven't given you a date yet, but it's going to be fairly early in the meet because of the fact that uh, I think it's probably going to be, if I had a guess, a month before the derby. F- uh, take the date of the derby, put it 28 days or 30 days before, and I bet you that's when it'll be. So because of the fact that... Uh, They can't have them. If you want some of the same horse, they're not going to be able to make it. And as it is, I'm not sure you'll get the same horses anyway. So uh, that's going to be very interesting because a horse is not going to be able to go, uh, is not going to interrupt his run at the Triple Crown, even though it's a different Triple Crown this year. It's not going to interrupt his run for the Triple Crown to go to Travers. So it's going to be a very different Travers this year and a very different Saratoga. There has been some talk of getting of allowing owners to get into the track for some events. At Belmont, nobody's going to care if that happens. At Saratoga, I could see some fans being upset if that happens. The fans who don't, have, uh, don't own horses and who have been deprived of Saratoga this year, I could see them being very put off. By that. So I think that's a ticklish. At Belmont, like I said, I don't think anybody cares. At Saratoga, which is an event which people treat as something a very special part of their year, not being allowed in while owners are allowed in who uh, have a piece of the horses. Now, listen, I understand. We're putting in a lot of money in these horses. We deserve to be able to see them run. I, I totally understand that premise. There's a lot of people put a I put money into horses. There are other people who put a lot more than me in the horses uh, and put a lot more time into it than I do. But, everyone would like to see horses race. But I can see that being very ticklish at Saratoga. At Belmont, I don't think it matters one bit. I don't think anybody cares if we go to Belmont. I think everybody will care if we go to Saratoga. So, i will be interested to see how they figure that out in the days uh, to come. But there will be racing at uh, Saratoga, although you will have a very much reduced stake schedule because they just don't expect to have the money to produce the same amount of uh, stakes and put as much purse money up every day. That's the thought process right now. So I don't think you'll see a stake a day, which you do there all the time. And all those overwhelming stakes, I think you'll see a reduction. I think you get the big stakes that you're used to will happen the hopeful, the spinaway, uh, obviously, uh, the Whitney, obviously, uh, you know, the Travers, you can name, you know, the four star Dave, you can go down the line, but if you name the top 10 stakes, they're all going to be there. But some of the other stakes, I think will be reduced. Some will be reduced in purse. Some won't happen at all. I think that'll be the case. Uh, so I think it will be limited in that regard. Not limited. Reduced is better than limited. Reduced is a better word. Um, mm-hmm. But you still will be able to wager on racing in Saratoga. And to me, that's a distinct positive. As an owner, it's a distinct positive. As a fan, I look forward to being able to wager on at the races in Saratoga because uh, I think that's at least a little bit of, you know, get a little, a little bit of Saratoga uh, for the year, at least being able to race some horses up there. You know, so it's, is it the same? Of course not. Nothing's the same this year. I mean, nothing is going to be the same. Golf isn't the same. And you still see all the players tipping their caps after they make a putt. Well, they're tipping their caps just out of reflex, but who are they tipping their caps to? There's nobody there. They're tipping them to the caddy. I mean, there's nobody there. But they used to tipping their cap as they get the polite applause after a uh, they make a putt. Well, tipping their cap to nobody. But hey, it's just what they're used to, by rote. All right, before I get a break, and then we'll get your calls in on this Friday evening. So get aboard. We'll get as many in as we possibly can before we uh, turn it over at seven o'clock. All right. For Bernie, it was six twelve ninety nine. Went one for two with a three uh, big three run homer. For Mickey, it was fifty seven, which is interesting. Six twelve fifty seven. And on this day, he uh, went four for five. And the Yankees played the uh, White Sox. They lost this game, 7-6. He went four for five. And had two runs scored. Had... Uh, Four, four, two runs scored and four RBIs. Hit two home runs and was off to a really terrific start. As a matter of fact, uh, he hit home runs 17 and 18. He had 39 RBIs. He was batting 378 and his on base percentage was 522. In the mid 50s, and especially 56 and 57. In 56 and 57, Mickey Mantle was as good a baseball player who ever, ever put on a uniform. His years are two of the highest-rated war years of all time in 56 and 57. In 56, he won the Triple Crown. He had 132 runs scored. 52 homers, 130-run RBIs, and hit three fifty three with a four sixty four on base percentage. Both years, his OPS was 1.169, 1.177. In 57, he only got 474 at-bats because he walked 146 times. He scored 121 runs. He only had 94 RBIs because they walked him all the time. He had 34 homers. He had 365 with an on-base percentage of uh, 522. Um, like I said, two of the best years anyone's ever had. If you look in the mid-50s, he was an offensive machine. He averaged, if you go from 53 to 61, he averaged 127 runs scored a year. 127, 128 runs scored a year. Literally a run scored almost every single year. And the idea is to score runs. And that's what he did. Power and speed. They were scared to death of him. They walked him like crazy. He hit 350, 360 in a lot of those years. You know, hit well over 300, but he hit 350, 3 56, 365 in 57. Didn't win the batting crown because uh, Ted Williams hit 377. Um, but he was as unstoppable an offensive force as there ever was in the game at that, at all, in those years, especially at the height, which was 56 and 57. But his numbers in those years were staggering. They really were. And that's the, uh, in those two years, like I said, Bonds had a couple years where his wars were that high. Ruth had a couple years, I think, 23 and 21 when his wars were that high. And Mantles, which were that good in 56 and 57. Your calls when we return. All right, here we go. Let's get some calls in here. Uh, Frank in the Bronx, you're up first. What's up, Frank? Frank there? Go ahead. All right, you plug him in. My screen does not work, so you you just pop it in, guys. Go ahead. Go ahead, Frank. All right, we lost him. Uh, Richard in Manhattan, what's up, Richard?
1: Mike, Bobby Burns. Jesus,
2: Sedenio. Oh, what are these every night? What, 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 what? Oh, come on, Richard. Uh, Richard, this bores me every night. I'm sorry, but you've got to give me something else. I, I don't want to sit here and rank your players from 30 years ago. Nobody cares. Nobody cares.
1: 44
2: years ago. Why is everything, Richard, is anything happening in the last 20 years for you? I mean, everything's 50 years ago. I mean, nobody cares. Mark Sidrich. Mark, again, Mark, there's a good one. Now you, now you at least got now you at least got the 30 years ago. Okay. The uh, was 76. All right, all right, I, okay, 40 years ago. Go ahead. What's your point?
1: Okay. Do you ever remember a game, regular season game, nothing uh. on the line? That had the
2: biggest hype. Yes, Vita Blues games did. Yes, Vita Blues and Fernando Valenzuela's, absolutely. Fidrich's, Vita Blues, Fidrich's, and and Fernando Valenzuela, I would say would be the three people, thanks for the call, that would be on that level. A lot of people listening don't even know who Fidrich is. Uh, Fidrich was a guy uh, who suffered, you know, he had a very weird life. Broke in, and as you may may or may not have heard, was a, he was a character. He, you know, and he had a good year. He had one great year, and he became a crazy fan favorite. He he liked to talk to the baseball. Now I know that sounds ridiculous, but he had an act, and you know he he would uh, he would he would uh, smooth around the mound with his uh, with his hand. He would run around the mound, uh, you know, in a strange way, you know, and, you know, he, he was just a character. And he didn't last long. He had an arm, in- arm injury, uh, played for the Tigers, uh, filled the stadium the year he was there, um, you know, really, really uh, was, a, was a unique individual, but again, didn't last very long. They called him the Bird. Um, he died a ugly death. You know, he had an accident in 2009. His career was not very long. I mean, he he came, he burst into into the in the league at 21. He went 19 and nine. He led the league in the ERA with a 2.34. He never won more than six games again in a season. He had an arm injury right away. Um, he was really gone. Within a couple of years, but that year he was like magical. As was Fernando Valenzuela. Their games became events, just like you saw here with Gooden, but Gooden was more legitimate. Fidrich was more of a crazy act. The other guy that Fernando, there was Fernando Mania, if you remember that, uh, where every one of his event, every one of his games became an event. Uh, there was no question. And again, he had some. Really, really terrific years and obviously was a major force. And then you had Vita Blue. And Vita Blue, I mean, burst onto the scene uh with the A's. He was a baby. You know, he got a he had a cup of coffee in uh sixty-nine seventy, burst on the scene in seventy-one. Guy wins twenty-four games. He has a one point eight. ERA, you know, an electric fastball, pitched at Yankee Stadium, place was packed. I mean, uh, wherever he went, the place was packed. I mean, great excitement, but he was a legitimate pitcher. I mean, Vita Blue lasted a long time. Vida Blue won 20 games three times. He won 18 games three or four different times. The guy won, you know, 200 games in his career. He had, he had a very good career, Vida Blue. He really did. So but he had the same kind of mania that Fernando had and that Fidgets had, but Fidget's only lasted for one year. That was, that was the difference. You know, he was a guy who, you know, just came and went very quickly. All right, Steve in Staten Island, what's up, Steve? Yes, Steve. Uh, Sorry for the call. I tell you, we're doing great with these calls. I tell you. Uh Bob in let's see, Bob in Pennsylvania. Go ahead, Bob.
1: Mike, um, I watched the movie uh, My All American that you recommended. Yes, and um, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't enjoy it as much as Rudy or the Hoosiers, but uh, well, it's a
2: much sadder movie. It's a much sadder the, movie. Yeah. I mean, the movie is not uplifting. Like you know, Rudy's uplifting. he has got a great ending. This kid dies at the end of the movie.
1: Yeah, I know. That's why I didn't care for it as much because with all that's going on, I just it was kind of a downer. I
2: thought. Well, the kid was heroic, though. He was amazingly tough. I what? mean, it's, it's, uh, inc- and it's a true story too. Yeah, it,
1: it was a good movie. I just uh, I I preferred the more uplifting one that
2: just stayed. Well, the other two, the other two were were very uplifting movies. Yeah, you know, uh, Hooges and and Rudy both. The, Screenplays written by the same guy, and Angelo wrote the screenplay also for My All American. He also directed it. He did not direct the first two; he directed right. he directed the third one. Uh, right. But you know, it's uh, I did not remember. See, I didn't remember Freddie Steinbach. So, I mean, I remember that Daryl Royal team. I remember that Arkansas game. I remember the whole controversy when Nixon picked Texas. Over Penn State to be the national championship, uh, national champions, which caused a big, a big stir. As a matter of fact, but uh, I didn't know anything about Steinmark, and it was a, you know, that's why I learned something about him because I didn't, rem- you know, I'm a kid, I don't remember him. I remember Street, I remember the quarterback, I remember the play the quarterback made in the game on fourth down. I did not remember anything about Freddie Steinmark, so I didn't know about him. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But uh, thanks for the recommendation. I enjoyed
2: it. Yeah, it's called My All American. And, uh, like I said, I just gave it away. I mean, it's a sad movie, but it's a true story too. I mean, legitimately true story. This isn't a lot of, you know, there's a little license in Rudy. There's a little license in Hoosiers to the real story. There's not a lot of license in My All-American. It's pretty much the way it happened.
1: Right. Now, uh, let me just say this. You mentioned that, uh, they didn't get married, but they didn't, they kind of left that, uh, they didn't say anything about that. Well, they, in,
2: real life, in real life, there's a couple of things. Number one, they didn't marry. They were going to marry. They actually picked out uh, a place, bought rings, and then he took a turn for the worst, and they did not marry. But interestingly, she was an uh, advisor on the movie, the girlfriend, and her daughter played the nurse. Remember, right, when, remember, remember when remember. Royal came to the hospital at the end that yeah, right. that was her daughter in real life that 's her daughter who played the nurse in the movie
1: right did they mention that in the credits of that I
2: don't no, know. they mentioned it in the thing I looked up after the movie about the movie they didn 't mention that in the credits, but they uh, I did find that out and i I actually checked I actually researched it to see if they what happened to her. And she did marry later on, but they didn't marry. Uh, they had planned it, but, but, he, but he, they, he went into a coma, and he couldn't, get, uh, he couldn't get through it. But they were really close to the wedding day. Thanks for the call. Warren in Jersey. Go ahead, Warren. What's up? All right. Uh, Bob in Monticello. Go ahead, Bob.
1: Hey, Mike. How you doing? Good. What's up? Uh, I'm curious. Did you, just because you're a, a huge fan like I, did you see the David Chase quote? That that he gave in the interview, how he basically let the cat out of the bag and said, "Yes, Tony was whacked."
2: Uh, I did not see that. No. Yeah, Google, David. Well, how? uh, Yeah, to me, that's not that's not accurate because you know, if he's not whacked on on film, how do we know he got whacked?
1: I mean, I I always thought going to black, the two guys who reappeared sitting at the counter.
2: Uh, You know, Chase Chase has a habit of doing a a lot of screwy stuff. He might turn around and change that in a week because he, you know, to me, if he didn't whack him and if he didn't do it in the movie, if he didn't do it in the last scene of The Sopranos, then he, di- he did kind of leave everything up to everybody's imagination because, you know, there were, there were three or four options there that could have happened, as we know. So uh, to me, if he doesn't do it, um, you know, if he doesn't, and thanks for the call, Bob, but if he doesn't do it in, in the last scene of the show, and he didn't. He left it up to everybody's imagination. Now, I didn't see him say that, to be honest with you. Uh, he's a little a little different anyway. But uh, so, um, listen, he'd be the only one who counts, but he didn't show us that. So on the record, I don't see it as being uh, valid because he sure didn't show it to us that night. He gave us a bunch of options on the way out the door. Back after this. Now, it'll be interesting this weekend to see how well the golf does. It'll probably do very well uh, because it's the only game in town. We'll see how good the ratings are. Uh, they would like to see what one of these events would do with Tiger Woods. They won't find out in week two. They go to Hilton Head next week, and Tiger Woods will not will not play in Hilton Head. Uh, the guys who will be there include McElroy, Rahm, Justin Thomas, Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Webb Simpson, Tony Finau, Cantley, Fowler, Garcia, and Shoffley. But uh, Tiger Woods will not play. The rumor, and this is only a rumor, is that Tiger's first appearance will be the week that fans are allowed back. Jack's tournament, the memorial, which he's won five times, also starts a very busy swing three weeks later from the memorial. Three weeks after the memorial is the PGA. So there is a feeling that Tiger will play first in the memorial and then start a busy stretch of games. Uh, of, of weeks of play, including the majors that are going to be stacked up, but that he won't play until then. We don't know that. All we do know is that the entry box passed, the time for the entry passed, and he did not enter the play uh, in Hilton Head. So he will not play in the RBC Heritage com- this coming week. So week two, week one, no Tiger. Week two, no Tiger. Uh, no fill either, but not a bad field. you got McElroy, Rom, Thomas, Kepka, Johnson, Webb Simpson, Finnell, Cantley, Fowler, Garcia, Shoffley. I tell you, can't, uh, Fowler's got to play better golf. I mean, really, it's about time. Mike in Long Island, what's up, Mike?
1: Uh, hey, Mike, how you doing? Good, what's happening? Good. I want to know if you saw the report coming out of uh, the Bruins today. Uh, The Bruins and both Sportsnet both reported that uh, one of their players already has tested positive for COVID, and they just started opening up the training facilities this week. Now, do you think that this is going to have any ripple effect, that they're only in Phase 2 of coming back and already one person has gotten uh, gotten sick already? Do you think this would... Cause NHL, NBA, anybody to rethink about even coming back?
2: I didn't see that yet, so I'll take your word for it. Um, I think it changed. I think all of this is very. I don't think it's going to take a lot to scare the players off. My understanding is a bunch of NBA players have been very upset with the fact that there has been outbreaks in Florida this week. Florida had the highest number that it's reported yet yesterday and today, which has scared a bunch of NBA players. So that's been an issue. I think there's a lot of players in Major League Baseball who have, I know a couple of them who have told me that they don't want to play, that they really hope they don't have to play because not just the money issue, but that they really fear that this is not going to work out, that this is very complicated. Uh, There is, yes, I think this is a very tough thing in these sports, and I do think... that any one of these, Mike, like you just said, if we get a rash of these before they ever get near playing, where all of a sudden there's been outbreaks where one guy on this team and one guy on this team and another guy on this team, it's going to cause a ripple effect. I don't think there's any question. I think this is uncharted territory, and I think the players are very fearful of this. I do agree. So I think, yes, the answer is a very strong yes that this is an issue and could be an issue. As we go forward, and thanks for the call in any of these sports, because the players have a lot of trepidation about this. And a lot of the baseball players have said, hey, wait a second. First of all, I'm not allowed to get – I'm not getting paid like I'm supposed to get paid. And secondly, what am I risking here? And now you've seen Florida with a bi- the biggest outbreak they've had yet, yesterday and today, other states – outbreak, okay, Arizona, Texas. So we've had less of it here. Now, remember, most of it was concentrated in the Northeast for a while. I mean, there was a time when, when you looked at the map when uh, New York and New Jersey were producing more than half the cases in the whole country. That's not the case anymore. It has now shifted other parts of the country. Ian Belmont, what's up, Ian?
1: Kellen. What's happening? Hey, Mike, how's it going? Good, what's up? So, um, obviously, I think the world is pretty pumped that sports are back. The PGA, I know a lot of my, my friends who aren't big golf fans are now all getting into it. They should. Obviously the, it's the, a great the group, sport. Great for the game of golf, especially with the young guys like Moore Cower playing well and whatnot, but... My main I'm, – I'm a big Spieth guy. I know, I know you're a fan of his as well.
2: I'm and not a big Spieth team. guy. I just liked him this – I'm not a big Spieth guy. Uh, I never have been. I, uh, and he plays way too slow for me. But the b- bottom line is I like – guys on certain courses he loves this course he's always played great on this course and that's why i thought at 33 to 1 he was worse and he hasn't won and he's a long way from winning and i personally even though i wagered on him i don't think he's going to win i but i thought he was a good play because he loves to play here that's the reason why
1: okay my mistake but i i agree with that i i actually waged on him as well but that's that's why i want to know what you think about is he because he was playing with his friends? You know, he's playing with JT and, and Ricky, no fans, knows the course. Do you think he just throws up a, a plus five tomorrow or? No, no. Playing?
2: I, I, listen, I think he plays really well there. And I think, I think he could have trouble. Clo- and thanks for the call. I think he could have trouble closing Sunday. He hasn't won in a while. If he gets close to winning, I think he could have trouble closing Sunday. I think he'll be fine tomorrow. I think he'll be in contention on Sunday. I just don't think my gut is I don't think he'll win, but you know what? He loves this course and he has a putter that can get very hot. What has to, what can't happen with him is this. He can't lose his driver, which he's very capable of doing. And then you see him start to start to talk to the ball and you see him start to get really mad, and, you know, he talks all the time. He talks to anybody who will listen. He talks to his caddy. He talks to everybody. He gets mad. That's when he loses it. And, I, you know, he hasn't been good the last couple of years. I just thought he was a big underdog, and he has always played great on this course. But right now, he's a, he's a stroke off the lead. And I got him at 33-1. to Do I think he'll win? I don't. I'm being honest. I don't think he'll win. Uh, I hope he does, but I, I don't think he will. Uh, Mike and Shoreham, what's up, Mike?
1: You know, if, if you ask me, I think it's addition uh, by subtraction that Tiger Woods is not playing, so he doesn't keep getting jammed down our throats as we are trying to watch a golf tournament. But, um, yeah, you know, but
2: you're, you're very much in the minority there because you know the ratings explode when he plays, so that's not true, Mike. I know, Mike. You I know, know but you yes. know I
1: hate Tiger Woods. Like I know
2: you know. do, but, you know, but, do. But, but, but the ratings are usually 30% yeah. higher when he plays.
1: Now, Mike, uh, uh, you of all people, I don't know how you haven't read this book. It's called The Sopranos Sessions. When you're done. Uh,
2: I don't, yeah, that doesn't, I mean, I watched the show. I don't care about that stuff now.
1: Bob from from Monticello is absolutely right. In that book, Chase said. Well, then
2: why didn't he do it on screen?
1: He wrote, he, Chase said, and I quote, he said that, well, when we wrote the death scene and then the interviewer said, do you realize what you just said? And then he said, oh, you got Well,
2: it. to and me, that her. doesn't count. But it doesn't count. Why? But he didn't do it. He had a chance to do it. Why didn't he do it?
1: Right, but I think he was being cute. As oh, Gandalf, he's always
2: like, being cute. He's always right. being... That's my point with Chase. Chase wants to toy with the audience. That's always his thing. So there's another example of him. An, you know why he's doing that? You know why? So that when he makes the movie, which he's had in the back of his head all these years, to make the movie, and he would have made it if Gandalfini, uh, you know was still around. He would have made the right. movie, okay? But the bottom line is, I think he always wanted to pay off... The movie was going to be a prequel, and then was going to be... Tony is in later in later life. Uh, but uh, you know they I think they probably would have paid it off and that's probably what he kept his in his back pocket. But to me if he doesn't pay it off on like I watched Nurse Jackie. My wife got me the Nurse Jackie, which is a brilliant show if you've never seen it. Uh, absolutely, uh, you, you know. First, you know that Edie Falco, everything she does, she wins the award for everything. She's won, she's won Emmys for every, everything, every role she plays, she wins the Emmy. And she was great in The Sopranos uh, as 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 Tony's wife, as you know. And she played Nurse Jackie, and they just ended the show. And when they ended the show, they ended it in a way again where you can make your own decision. Whether she lives or dies or what happens, she plays a, a, an, a, an addicted nurse who's a great nurse who messes up the rest of her life all the time because she has a tremendous opioid addiction. Okay. okay and, uh, but, but again, to me, that's what, Ch- that's what these guys do. They like to toy with the audience to give you options. And that's what Chase did. He gave you like four options that night. That's what he gave you. And,
1: and another thing about Woods. And, and again, I know. About
2: Woods. I'm, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're, you know, but
2: you're, know. you know you're in the minority with Woods. Most people, you know, he's got a lot that's of right. fans. Yeah.
1: But so here's another thing, Mike. I mean, Harold Warner. Th- this is a great story. Great story. story was yeah, absolutely. If Woods, if Woods were were playing again, he would be crammed down our throats. That whole storyline that he, you know, representing the African American community. No, that's not.
2: That wait a second. Tiger Woods in recent years hasn't been anything about his. That was when he was starting out. Tiger Woods not, hasn't been about race in years. Media,
1: not not Woods. Media would have been would have been all over that. I'm not saying Woods would have done it. No, listen. Great story, and it's not overshadowed by Tiger Woods' presence. That's but what I'll
2: saying. tell you this, though. But again, tonight, I heard people who were bringing up Varner... And now trying to put him in social context, you know what? Let him play golf. Let him play him golf this weekend. Just let him play golf. As he said, hey, I'm not thinking about that right now. You know, he said, I'll talk about it after the weekend, but just let me play golf right now. And hey, you know what? It, That's what he should be able to do. Just let him play. Let him win the tournament first.
1: I'm a big fan of his like you are, but I think Phil Mickelson is, is pretty much on fumes. Well, he's
2: 50. He's going to be fifty next week. You know what? Guys don't win on the tour at fifty.
1: I'm not saying the win, but I mean, look, Tom Lehman comes out and, and fires a 60. Yeah, but he
2: doesn't. But he hasn't played. He hasn't been around there in ten years, Tom Lehman. He had, he had a couple but, of good rounds.
1: But Phil's not even competitive anymore. I mean, you know, I mean, I hate to say it,
2: but listen, you know what? They'll come. I, I don't know if Phil's going to go. They, listen, they're going to beg Phil. They're going to beg Phil to show up on the next tour because he could light a fire under the next tour because of how popular he is. I think I don't think Phil has any interest in that. And listen, Phil's I don't think I agree with you from this standpoint, and thanks for the call. I don't think Phil's gonna be a consistent winner anymore. He's fifty years old. No one's a consistent winner at fifty playing against guys who are half his age. But you know, Phil's fifty next week. This is the last tournament Phil will ever play under the age of fifty. If you look, guys don't win tournaments at fifty. They might win a tournament. And I think if you're asking me, will Phil win another tournament again? I think he will. Now, I don't think he'll win another major. I do think he'll win another tournament. But do I think he'll ever be a consistent winner again? No. He's had a great career. He's had a Hall of Fame career. He's had a brilliant career. Could it have been better? Yes. I mean, he should have won a couple of U.S. Opens. And if you want to say... He's won five majors, and he didn't get the complete Grand Slam. He should have got the complete Grand Slam. He probably should have had 89 majors. I'll give you that. But he's already had a great, great career. I mean, anybody in their right mind would take Phil Mickelson's career. It's been a brilliant career. But do I think he'll win again? Yeah, I think he could win a tournament. Would I ever expect him to win a major? I wouldn't. I, I really wouldn't. Well, let's try Stephen Stein and Ellen again. Let's see if we get got him on a better line. Go ahead, Steve.
1: All right, Mike. Um, yes. Mike, I just want to change gears a second. I want to talk about the new Spike Lee movie, uh, The Five Bloods. Say what you want about
2: the guy. He doesn't make a bad move. I, like I, ha- I haven't seen it. Uh, so I haven't seen it. So, matter of fact, Next, Netflix just started promoting it just a couple of days ago. I have not seen it. So, Thank you, I, and thanks for the call. I will check it out. I have not seen it. Uh, Warren in New Jersey. What's up, Warren? Mike. Yes, Warren. Hey,
1: hey what's going on, Mike? What's happening? Uh, during this whole pandemic, you guys done a great job, man, just bringing back some old memories and just doing what you guys can doing. do uh, it. But, uh, I, you know, as, as a teacher and a coach right now and an ex-college football player with this Florida, the state of Florida allowing these college athletes to get paid next summer, do you think that these, uh, these coaches are going to ha- have a hard time recruiting? Because, I mean, if, I, if, like, if, I'm, a, if I'm a 19-year-old kid and I, th- I can go to the state of Florida and I can go play and maybe get paid, You know, that might hesitate me
2: to go to Ohio State or actually. Listen, every state has to follow suit. The the NCAA will have to control that. They will, they, what what that state allows doesn't mean the NCAA will allow it. Okay. The NCAA has got to get it under control. They have to have uniformity of rules. The NCAA is about to lose control. That is what is happening here. That, that is exactly where we are right now. That's why a couple of weeks ago I made the point that I can see now finally the super 60, as we used to call them. There's more than 60 now, that are in the Power Five conferences branching off and starting their own situation because of the fact that the NCAA no longer – can control everything. They can't. The, the, the so you're
1: saying so you saying by, the, by by next year the whole every state will be doing it and, and I, everyone, everyone will
2: there, be paid? There has to be a uniformity. Like, there has to be a uniformity, Steve. The advantage you're talking about. If you're a high school kid, all right, and you're and you're in Alabama, and you can go to Florida and get paid and you can't get paid in Alabama but you can get paid in Florida you're going to go to Florida to play absolutely so that can so the state of Alabama is never going to let that happen okay but the NCAA can't let it happen because it will completely make the it'll, it'll completely make it an uneven playing field there has to be an even see but what's happening right now is just the fact that that happened Shows you that the NCA is losing control of the whole thing right now once the O'Bnon case happened, the NCA again got greedy, they got stupid and greedy. They had to make money again on the backs of the players without them making a dime. and when you had a system where the NCA has a billion dollar contract for these guys' games, and the coach drives a brand-new Mercedes across the campus after the game, and the guy doesn't have $5 in his pocket to go out and get a pizza with his girlfriend, there's something wrong when that's the case and he was the star of the game. So that system had to come to an end, and these guys weren't smart enough to end it themselves. They waited till the courts ended it, and now the courts and the legislatures are stepping in, and you're going to see that just like... Just like has happened in the other sports, where the player is the product and the player is half the sport, you're going to hear that same line in college football and college basketball. The one difference is what happens to the aspect of them being college players and not professionals. In essence, they're really going to be professionals, which is going to bring unions in, which is going to bring OSHA in, which is going to bring all kinds of aspects into the campus that they never expected. And I don't know how, I don't think the NCAA is equipped anymore to handle this. So I think college sports, especially college football as we know it, is about to be completely turned upside down.
1: Yeah, it scares me. I, I I hope it's not like that.
2: But I mean, I I don't know how they're going to control it. I I don't know. I I don't know a reasonable way. The players are going to do a lot better, but I don't know. See, the problem is, once you put a limit on it. It doesn't stop the cheating. See, if the player is a great player, and everybody now is getting thirty thousand, and nobody used to get anything, and now you get a cash stipend for thirty thousand above your books and tuition uh, for spending money, and you get other things. But you know what? If everybody gets that, then they'll give the top player something else. So it's it's a never-ending cycle. And right now, the NCAA has headaches. And thanks for the call that they have never, ever had. But college athletics on the big-time level, college football, college basketball, are facing challenges now that they have never faced in their lives. And their challenges, they're going to have a hard time handling. Casamigas Tequila, as always, brings you the program brought to you by those who drink it. Have a good weekend. Uh, should be beautiful weather. Get out. Enjoy it.